Well, thank you. I'm glad that I don't know many of you. Because you're new. You should be new. Church is growing. It's a wonderful place to be. I couldn't be more happy uh, to be related to Millington Baptist Church than I, than I am. Honestly, I, I take that seriously. I, I'm thrilled with all that I know that's going on at Millington. And I, I go to a lot of churches, preach in a lot of churches. I am a part of a lot of churches in various ways. But I tell you, I'm glad to be home and glad to be with you again. And many of you I know but those I don't know, I'm so glad that you're filling in those seats and ministry positions. Well, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, becoming ripe for the harvest. Week by week, you've been going through that, and we've been watching online. Pretty much up to date on that, except for the last week when we were on vacation. So if I repeat anything from last Sunday, it's not my fault. I was on vacation. I couldn't do it, okay? So be gentle with me. I have to say also that some of you are going to want this shirt, I'm going to leave it in my will to a number of people, so they'll have to share it. Maybe Pastor Bob and Pastor Dave. It was created when we first built the building next door in 1854, when I was pastor here. (laughs) So this shirt has some longevity tied to it. (laughs) Wonderful days. Well, you know our text. Let's repeat it together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nothing wrong with those things. That's, a, that's a, my version of those final words. There's nothing wrong with those things. Oh my, do we need them. I, uh, I said before that this is a first focus issue for me. It hasn't been until I studied for this message. I mean, I, I didn't think of it in that way, but I'm thinking of it now as a first focus issue. You know what I mean by that when I say that? I mean that the essential first question of my life is always, as a believer, am I bearing in an increasing sense the fruit of the Holy Spirit? I became a Christian 56 years ago in Japan, a long time ago. I've never made that a primary question for my life. Now, I've had pieces of it. I'm sure you have too, and and little areas of it. But I would encourage you to Get this tattooed on your arm, or if you don't want to do that, I don't either. Write it on postage stamps or, or on uh, sticky stamps and put it on your, on your mirror. Am I bearing in an increasing measure the fruit of the Holy Spirit? That's the issue for us who call ourselves Christians, who follow after the one who has shown us what that looks like. I say that because over my years, I've, I think necessarily, rightly, talked about God's gifts and God's calling. And, and hearing God's voice for what I need to do with my life and doing it with passion and following after him. And I, I don't mean to say that's not important. I, I think that's very important. And I, I say that that's a second issue focus. Because if, if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not behind what I do with my hands and my mouth and my feet, I, I'm building a house of cards. And eventually it's going to fall apart. And people are going to get hurt in the process. If if what's going on in my life from which my ministry comes and my activity comes is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then people are going to get hurt. And we've seen enough people get hurt in the last, I don't know, five years or so. I've seen it longer than that because I've been in that world. Uh, You know the damage that's done to churches and to uh, families and to our world. Here's something I showed Chloe the other day. She asked me if I had a quarter. I said, no, I have a dollar you can't have it. It's just a reminder. Reminder. The heads, if I fail, 
My family goes with me. I'm serious. The tail, if I fail, my church goes with me. If I fail, the circumference reminds me that a waiting world to see a genuine Christian goes with me as well. And haven't we seen a lot of that recently? And if we don't get a hold of this thing about the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's to be produced in us, then we're going to see more of it. And it's going to hurt more and more people. But it's hard. It's hard partly because it's hard to measure it, you know, we never get there completely, so we're always struggling with another step. And one facet of the fruit uh, doesn't measure up, but we've got the other ones in line maybe to some extent, a little bit at least. And so, so it, it's hard to, to make this the focus of our lives. But I tell you, I, I don't know anything else to do but to keep asking the question, am I being filled with the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life? And is that evident in an increasing way in my life? Um, and, and I know the I know the excuses. I used them myself. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, that's true. I'm better than I used to be, hopefully. Or, or God's doing great things through me, hopefully. But that's not enough. Because if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not behind all that. So today we get a hold of this idea a little bit. Uh, this slice of the fruit called kindness. And some people said, well, that's being selfless, selfless, that's being uh, caring, that's being compassionate. So if those are the other words that, that kind of ring a bell with you, then use those as you think about this subject of kindness. And, and again, I say it doesn't come naturally. In fact, I think it doesn't come naturally now more than ever before. I remember a time when it was standard to be kind to people. <laughs> we didn't always do it, that's true, and sometimes we did it for the wrong motive, perhaps, but, but at least that was the order of the day. It is not the order of the day anymore. In fact, the further we go in the culture that we're in, the more kindness gets abandoned. But we want to be kind. And we want other people to be kind to us. And we want kindness to be a part of our culture. But we can all think of times when we're not. In fact, I think kindness is hard under certain circumstances. See if you register with this with me, because it is for me. I'm speaking in my own life as well as anybody else's life that I've heard about in the past. I think there are three circumstances when it's especially hard for us to be kind. One of those is when, when we're dealing with pain. You know what pain is like. Pain gets the spotlight right on me because I want to relieve my pain. And, and I want the people around me to relieve my pain. And if they're not doing that, then... See, see pain makes me me-focused. Kindness is other-focused. What do they need? What, what, does she need? what does he need? But pain makes me say, oh, this is what I need. Give it to me. So kindness is hard. It's hard likewise when we're pursuing a great cause. And I hope you're pursuing a great cause. I hope I am for the rest of my life. I got my mission statement. I got my identity written out. Boy, I go over it because I want to remember that. I want to press on until the day I see Jesus face to face. But in the midst of that, it's easy to forget about kindness because our, our minds get zeroed on, on something other than the people who are right around us. And so because we have this great cause out there and we're pursuing it with all of our heart, well, you know, I, I don't have time for her. I don't have time for him. And I, if you have any, any sense of passion for a purpose, 
watch out, because that's a time when kindness is most easily dropped. The third reason when it's hard, I think, is when we're dealing with the people closest to us. And some of you will remember the Mills Brothers, and some of you remember their song, You Always Hurt the One You Love. The indication of why that's so true is it's been repeated by artists over and over and over and over. You just have to Google it. Who sings that song? You'll find there's a bunch of people sing it. Why? Well, because it's real. It's true. It's the ones who are closest to us. Probably because you can get away with it. Probably because your paycheck doesn't depend on it. Maybe because you can still look good to outsiders. Maybe because you're your people, you know, your family, they love you. And surely they'll forgive you, won't they? Won't they? You always hurt the one you love. It's really depressing to me. When I look at my world and I look at my own life and I see how easy it is to let kindness slip from my hands and everybody else pays the price for it when that happens. In fact, I wonder if the greatest pandemic among us today is not coronavirus or monkeypox, but rather the absence of kindness among us. And wouldn't we deal better with those things if we had kindness at the middle of us? You see the headlines. I saw it the other day. 14 New Jersey transit workers assaulted. Who would would assault a New Jersey transit worker? Yeah. Apparently a lot of people, at least 14, maybe more than that. My friend Scott told me the other day that he and his wife had spent a weekend in New York City. They stayed in their daughter's apartment. It was cheap, but they could spend their money on, move, on theater and, and going to nice restaurants. And he said, one of the restaurants we went to is one that we had dreamed about going to. It was a beautiful restaurant, but a brawl broke out. You see, what? Something was said. Somebody did something. Tables were overturned. Glass was broken and spattered all over the place. And they had to get out in a nice restaurant in New York City. You say, I'd never do that. I'm glad, that's good. But what about road rage? And what about your social media postings? And your sharp answer to your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents or your friends? It's depressing. And I look at myself and I say, I've been a follower of Jesus since 56 years ago. But when I find unkindness in me and a lack of kindness, I'm saying, what is wrong with this? When I claim to follow the one and and seek to live my life like the one who was the epitome of kindness, and you can go to many, many passages in Scripture, one after another, and you look at them. But I found one that came to mind as soon as I had this subject lodged in my mind of kindness, one that seems to outstrip all the other ones because in contrast to the way we normally act in those three circumstances, Jesus seems to hold everything up and say, no, we're going to be kind in this. So let's look at kindness on display. Turn to John chapter 10, 19, excuse me. I'm reading verses 25 through 27, and you'll see the picture that I saw in my mind when I first got a hold of this idea of kindness. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. 
I, I don't know about you, but when I think about the three circumstances that I've noted that come out of my own life as well as what other people have told me, I say, how could he have been kind here? So let's check up on Jesus and see what he does in those circumstances. Let's take them one by one. When he's dealing with great pain. Pain. <laughs> I know nothing about pain compared to dying on a cross. I mean, absolutely zero, nothing. I know what I've read, what people have told me it was like. Some sense in which you are exhausted, but you've endured incredible pain before you're even nailed to the cross because they beat you. They put a crown of thorns upon his head to mock him. Then they nailed his hands to the cross, his, his feet to the cross, and they erected the cross up into the air, and he hung there. I don't know how to describe that. I just know that the, the pain had to be unbelievable. When the spear hit his side, it was probably nothing compared to the rest of the pain that he was enduring, because from what I understand... A man who hangs there like this will eventually not be able to hold himself up. And when he can't hold himself up anymore, he will slowly but surely be suffocated because the diaphragm can no longer pull in the air. So it's like having somebody, it's like waterboarding, I guess, where you manage to push yourself up again and then, then you can't do it anymore and then you go down. And eventually what a, what a person would die of would die I'm not being able to breathe, no more air entering his lungs. But even that didn't take place quickly. It, it, it was slow. It was slow. Now talk about that pain. It's in that pain that we see the kindness. So let's check that off for Jesus. Because even in that circumstance, he's kind. The, the second one I mentioned, when he's pursuing a great cause... Did he have a great cause before him? Oh, he had the cause of eternity. His father decided that he was going to send him to the cross, and Jesus volunteered, and the Holy Spirit said, I will be there for him. And the counsel of God, the Trinity, Jesus is going to give up his, not his deity, but the enjoyment of his deity. He's going to give up the enjoyment of his deity, and he's going to become a man and be clothed in, man, in, in human flesh, and he's going to go through the indignities of a man. Is that a great cause that he's pursuing? Sure is, because God said, I want a family besides us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want a family, and I want to love on them, and I, I already love them, so I, I know they're going to go off track, so I want to rescue them because we can't be together as a family if they're completely with their hands fist, fist in the air like this. So let's, let's pay for what they did and what they're going to do. And Jesus, you're going to pay for that. So is he pursuing a great cause? Check it off. And then the final one, when it comes to the people closest to us, I mean, this is his mother. And, and, you know, when we read that, we say, oh, that doesn't sound very caring and kind, woman. No, 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 no. In the language of the day, that was a, that was a, lang a word of great respect for her. There's nothing missing here in terms of, of, uh, of uh, attachment between, father, or between son and mother. This is his mom. If, if you want to use that, that word, mom, mommy, mama. 
whatever you need to do to bring them close together because that's what's going on here. He could have just been silent. And we wouldn't have thought different about it. And yeah, I know people, people in their dying days would assign responsibility for helpless relatives. I know that. That was part of the custom of the day. But surely in his pain and in his purpose, he could have let it go with her this time, but he will not let it go. So check him off there too. And what we see here is a man who's living by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, I get it, I get it, I get it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No. He's God. I'm not. You expect too much of me. No, that, that's, not, that's not good enough. Listen carefully. This is Jesus as man. And I know it's hard to get the whole thing about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together and Jesus being fully God and fully man all at the same time. For, but, but that's a part of the picture. This is Jesus operating as man, the quintessential man. The man filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit in the life, and kindness is one aspect of that fruit. It's not a separate one. It's, it's a part of the picture of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not fruits, but fruit. He's operating as a man. This is what it looks like when a man is filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's no preaching here. There's no building churches here. There's no great successful corporate career. There's, there's no brood of children here that I can lay claim to. He's dying. This is what it looks like for a man to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit to be evident in life. And you count on it, he experienced the pain just as much as you and I would, if not more, because he's standing there in the judgment place before his father from whom he's never been separated before. They've never had a crossword with each other. Book of Hebrews puts it clearly, says we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So to say, well, he was God, that's not a valid path of escape. I still have to deal with this thing. He's a man, the ball's in our court. We are called to be holy. Paul says it in one place, chapter 4, verse 32 of Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So the question, the question becomes, how do I grow in kindness? How do we duplicate the kindness that Jesus shows to his mother in these circumstances which are so difficult? How do we do that? Well, surely it's helpful to be kind, to be aware of the, of the circumstances that cause us to be least kind, you know, so we can see them coming. We can say, oh, I got I to gotta get ready for this because it's coming. And, and maybe we can help ourselves that way. And there are, maybe there are steps to take that you, can, you find helpful to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life. That, that, that's fine. I, I get that. But I, I think there's something bigger here. There's something, something larger here. And I'd really like to focus on the bigger question. The bigger question is, how can I help the plant grow? What can I do? What can I not do that will help the plant grow? Kindness is a particular aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it comes from a plant. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the plant grow. But, But it's not just the Holy Spirit. I have some part to play in it. Just like my flowers at home or a vegetable garden, you have some part to play in it. I have no idea how the seed germinates. That's not my job. But there are other things after that that are my job that'll make the fruit grow, or in my case, the flowers. 
They'll grow. I, I can do things, or maybe I can just get out of the way so it can grow like it should. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. If you've come to faith in Christ, it is the kindness of God that made that happen. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that opens my eyes. It's the kindness of God that brings me to life when I'm dead. It's the kindness of God. He didn't need to do that. He didn't get anything from it. That's the kindness of God. So that's where it starts. And once I've become a Christian, then the Holy Spirit becomes the resident of my life. I become a temple for the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is first of all, remember this? This is number one. The work of the Holy Spirit is to produce fruit in my life. The fruit that we've been looking at for the past several weeks. And I've been learning something about helping a plant grow. Thus you see my plant here. It came when uh, our property manager write to, wrote to us. We live in a townhouse community, so, and we're in a, in a circle, so there's a front end and a back end. We live towards the back end, and uh, they had planted flowers there, similar to these flowers. And uh, the, the call went out on email, said, will somebody water the flowers? Well, nobody responded except, I've just got this innate thing to be, have people like me. So I said, I'll do it, I'll do it. It's just who I am. I'm fighting. I'm trying to deal with it. Uh, I'll do it. So, so I said, okay, I'll do it. Interestingly enough, in the timing of God, this came about four weeks ago when I first heard I was going to talk about kindness. How's that? And, and that's important because it was as I was watering these flowers at the end of our, our circle that I began to get some ideas about what I needed to do to make the plant grow. Well, this is going to be uh, very elementary, I understand, but I'm just starting. I'm a novice, so I'm really trying to learn about this stuff. And some of it seemed to have some parallels to my walk with God and being filled with the Holy Spirit as the plant grows within me. So let me tell you about the lessons I'm learning uh, in helping the plants to grow. And, and as I say, I'm a novice, so this is going to be simple. So just lower your expectations. The first thing I learned is you have to water the plants. Really? That's likely why Jesus used the image of living water. Because we need it. He's got it. So he uses an image that we can relate to quickly. So I started watering the flowers when I thought of it or when I had a break in the day. Problem is, we don't live close enough to the flowers. And my hose is not long enough. And yes, I will buy a hose for next year. Somebody, you don't need to tell me. Somebody already told me, get a longer hose. I'm slow, I'm just learning. So I've got my hose over here and it won't reach the flowers. So I had to get my handy dandy watering can out. It's, not, it's plastic, it's not a can, but you know what I mean, okay? And, and I had to fill that with water in my garage where the hose was and then carry it over. And it would take, I don't know, 14, 15 trips back and forth for me to water the flowers. It was exhausting. I was doing it in the heat of the day. I was doing it all kinds of times at night and morning. And I found out something that happened wasn't good. And what I found out happened was when I went over to, to water the flowers, the water didn't stay on the flowers. Well, I expected that. I thought it would go down on the ground. It didn't stay on the ground either. In fact, it, it ran down onto the curb and then onto the, onto the pavement. And I'm not trying to grow pavement. So here I am trying to water the flowers, and I'm doing my duty 14, 15 times back and forth with this thing. 
and I'm going like this, and the water's all coming down onto the pavement. Well, you can water for the rest of your life, but if it's not going into the soil, more than likely it's not going to work. I'm, I'm not an official, so I don't know for sure, but I don't think it will. The problem is that the soil was like concrete. By the time I got to it, nobody had watered it, so the plants needed water, but the soil was hard because it is dry. Something like our hardened hearts when we don't have access to the water or we don't take advantage of the access we have. I know something about that. You might as well. I know also about the story that Jesus told about the seed being flung out and some of it going on to the hardened path. Because it was on the hardened path, it couldn't sink into the ground. And surely the water couldn't get down into that ground either, so nothing would grow there, and it was eaten by the birds. So, being the very wise farmer that I am, I said, self, this isn't going to work. And then I had my second great discovery. And my second great discovery came with this, this thinger jig that you scratch up the soil with. And I was able to go over there, and I was scratching up the soil. And the next day, I went to my chiropractor, because that's not easy work. And I'm, <laughs> I'm used to easy work. I'm a pastor, so I don't know about that stuff. But I found out, amazingly, that if I would, if I, if I would break up the hard soil, then the water from my can would go in. And instead of 15 trips back and forth, I had, oh, I don't know, six or seven. It was cut in half. Why? Well, because I'm so smart that I know if you break up the soil, the water goes in. Water goes in. Now, is there anything that God wants to teach me through that? Well, I began to wonder if the soil of my heart was hardened. And if it was hardened, then what should I do? Who would break up the soil of my heart? I began to think about the Scriptures, and I found out very quickly that, wow, Jeremiah God says, break up your unplowed ground. Well, that sounds like what I did with my flowers. What good if I break up my unplowed ground? Well, then the water of life, the water of life will sink into it and get down to the roots and, roots, and then, I, then I, can, I can have a plant that's growing within me and the fruit will be obvious if I take time to do that. But the one that really struck me was Joel or Hosea chapter 10, Verse 12, you can see it on the screen. God says, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and what's the next thing? Break up your unplowed ground. There it is again. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. People of Israel had turned away from God, probably in two ways that I'm very familiar with, and I kind of have two categories here, and they might not have everything in it, but one way was to become self-sufficient. It's when we... We don't say this, but it's when we think this. No, I don't even, I'm not even sure we think this, but it's when this becomes a part of our grid. Thanks for getting us this far, Lord. We'll take it from here. You know what I mean? Now, you don't think that. And I, I wouldn't say that out loud, but I did that. I, I did that. I thought the way to grow a church at Millington was to go get another degree or get a mentor or a coach or... And those weren't bad. They weren't wrong. I don't mean to dismiss those, but, but what that ended up doing was putting the, the focus on me. 
and I was becoming self-sufficient. The other way that they offended, and I have too, is to be self-directed. Because when you're self-sufficient, then you're self-directed because I know how to go about to do this, so I'm going my way. And nobody says that out loud, or I, I don't think. I know I never thought it out loud. I, I never thought about it. I just, until I hit the wall. And I hit the wall because I finally ran out of gas to get the job done instead of depending on God to get the job done. And it took some time for me to get off that, that spot. Well, the people of Israel had turned away from God. They were self-sufficient and they were self-directed. So God brought redemptive judgment on them. A ju judgment is one thing, but redemptive judgment, when you put those two words together, that really means discipline. Like a parent brings discipline upon a child. So, so his purpose in bringing redemptive judgment or discipline was so that they would respond to him. And he called them then to respond by breaking up the hardened soil of their hearts so that he could shower upon them his righteousness. So somehow, in the midst of my life, I need to be asking the question, Lord, in, in what ways am I... In what ways am I being self-sufficient and self-directed? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think you'll have to look for long. It's our natural go-to. Because I'm inviting his redemptive judgment, drawing me back to a responsive state. He's roughing up the soil of my heart when he brings that. You say, why do I have to go through hardships? Well, it may just be to strengthen the muscles that are already there, or it might be, it might be to draw you back because you've been self-sufficient and self-directed, and that doesn't yield a relationship. So, my advice, beat him to it. Rough up the soil of your own heart. So when he pours out the blessings of his water, you'll soak it up quickly. There won't be any resistance. There won't be any lag in time. Soak it up yourself. So keep that tool close. You'll need it. Uh, seek the Lord and his ways. And then Ricardo came along. Notice this is about three weeks I'm doing this, and, and Ricardo drives in. He's got a truck, and he's got a couple of guys with him, and uh, he's delivering a sofa to my neighbor. And he comes over, and he watches what I'm doing. And I get to talking with him. I get to talking with anybody. So I get to talking with Ricardo, and, and I found out he's from El Salvador. I said, oh, that's really neat. And he says, you're not doing this right. And I said, what? He said, my dad had, had a, our home was up in the mountains of El Salvador, and so we didn't have many crops, so I didn't learn it there. But, but what I did learn was when we moved down to the valley area, because then he had a lot of land, and my job when I grew up was to water the plants. I said, oh, that's cool. And he said, you're doing it wrong. I said, really? All right. He said, you're doing it at the wrong time of the day. So the third lesson is choose the right time to soak in God. Choose the right time. Holy Spirit seemed to whisper to me, you need to make sure that the time you choose to be with the Lord He's always with you, but you're not always with him. So you have to take an intentional step to be with him, and you've got to make sure that there aren't a lot of other things that are taken away from what he wants to pour into your life at that time. The plants should not be watered in the heat of day. It dissipates. It may even do the plants harm because it doesn't soak into the ground. Nor can you expect the fruit of God to develop in your life if you're trying to get by with the water of life 
in your busiest times, most distracted times that you can imagine. Oh, I got five minutes now. Yeah, I'll leave my phone on with the music because I like to worship while I'm listening for God. Probably not. Oh, you know, I, I got 10 minutes I can set aside right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quick get my Bible open, my Bible app, and I'll, I'll read what God says, and, and surely he'll speak. And then you go away from that and say, I didn't hear anything. Well, no wonder. And all the other noise and distraction, the part of your life. Well, God says, I, I want your attention. I don't want the leftovers. I don't want a quick and easy. You need to soak in the water that God supplies. He wants you to be quiet. He doesn't want to be squeezed into your busy day. He doesn't want to be squeezed out by the distractions of life. And I couldn't help but wonder, isn't that maybe part of the reason why the psalmist talked about being with God in the morning? Like Psalm 5.3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. I'm not saying we all have to have this in the morning. I, I, I don't, I'm, please, don't write a law. I don't like those laws where you have to meet with God at 5 a.m. You do not. 5 p.m. might be best for you, or 2 in the morning is best. I meet with young guys all the time, and I say, you better, you better see this is so important. If you can't get at it during the day, you better get up in the middle of the night and spend time with God. Because you've got to soak in the water. It's got to get down to the roots. So you choose your time, you choose your place. I, I'm not even thinking in those terms. Choose your time to soak in the word of God, in the presence of God. Quiet, listening, prayerful, soaking. There's another part of that that came to me as I was watering the flowers, and, and that is that you have to go slow. My dad told me, that the soft, quiet, long-term rain is much better than the downpour that comes from a thunderstorm. I said, why? He said, because it soaks into the ground. This idea of being with God, this is not for, oh, I'm going to do it every day this week, and then I'm not going to do it for two weeks. No, no. I'm talking about soaking. I'm, this is not a mountaintop experience. This, this is a life commitment that I'm going to be with my Savior and I'm going to be quiet a good portion of that time. I'm just going to listen. And maybe I'll be in my basement, like that's where I go. Or maybe I'll be on my back porch on the deck and I'll watch the nature and that's, that's fine. Or, or maybe I'll be in my bedroom. Or I, I don't care where. I just, don't, I just want to listen. Because that's when I soak. I, I soak and I tell him how much I love him. And he tells me, He tells me how much he likes me. How much he likes being with me. There's nothing better. Nothing. Find the best time to soak. And then finally, I found out as I went on that I need to defend the plants. I noticed that some of the plants weren't doing well. And that was even after I had roughed up the ground and I had I'd been soaking them. I, I was doing everything right that I knew of, but, but something was wrong. They were getting all decrepit and holes in them. Uh, and, and they didn't look healthy. And I was doing what I was supposed to. And then I looked inside one of, those, one of those flowers and I looked 
and I saw Japanese beetles. And I realized that with all the care I had been giving to my plants and my, my flowers, the Japanese beetles would destroy them. And it didn't matter how much I roughed them up and how much water I put on them. The Japanese beetles would eat them, and they were doing that. So I went to Ilona. I said, Ilona, will you go get me some bug spray? She went out. She got me some bug spray. I don't know how good this is, but it stopped the problem for about a week and seems to have stopped it long term. I only need to do it, I don't know, I do it every once in a while. And God said, Peter, you need to do something like that with your heart. You need to make sure that the stuff that the world wants to put into your heart isn't allowed in. That you build the fences around your heart to keep the stuff in out that, that would destroy you. And, and I know you know some of the things I'm thinking about. The beetles of my life could be success in my vocation or my work or my ministry. Because success makes me say, oh, I, I'll take it from here, Lord. I got it. I got it. And no longer depend on him for what he wants to do in my life and through me. Or it could come from failure, because failure makes us give up, and that's another beetle that'll get into your life, and you'll fail, and you'll say, I'm not trying anymore, that's the end of that, I'm not doing that. So it doesn't have to be success, it can be failure, or anything in between that makes us cancel out on what God wants to do in the midst of our lives. Or you know, it could be addiction to drugs, or to credit card spending, but, but, but those addictions, what they do is they keep Jesus from being our treasure. And Jesus wants to be my treasure. He wants to be the most important person in my life. But if I allow those beetles of addiction to get in, he's not. Oh, it could be people-pleasing that will silence me in terms of, of interacting with people in an unfavorable circumstance and culture that we're in right now. But in all of those ways, Paul talks about it as grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I'm not talking about losing my, 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 my salvation. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just saying that the fruit can't grow if the Holy Spirit is grieved. And if the fruit can't grow healthy, then there's no fruit. If the plant can't grow, there's no, there's no fruit. It doesn't happen. So what I have to do is I have to build the fences around my heart. And I can do that at any time. I mentioned before, uh, one of the fences that I, by God's grace, managed to build, I don't know, a long time ago, and it kept this particular beetle from getting in. We were in Amsterdam on our way back from a ministry trip, I think in Pakistan, if I remember correctly, and, and uh, we had a layover because we couldn't get the flight out until, I guess, the next day, as I remember it. Ilona was in the shower. And I turned on the TV. I had never seen anything like this before. I'd seen pornography in print. I was a teenager. I had gone down that road for a while, but it never grabbed hold of me. But I saw it on the screen, and I can still remember the first few seconds it came on. As clear as day, I remember it. And I was tempted to leave it, because Ilona was in the bathroom, getting ready to go out. But somehow, God broke through the resistance in my heart, 
And he said, turn it off. And I turned it off. And that's not the problem for me that it's been for large numbers of men and women. Why? Because I shut it off. Because I built a fence. I haven't built a fence with everything. Don't get the wrong idea. But that's one time I said, I can't do this. I built a fence around my heart. Now, you may have gone down that road. Maybe you didn't build the fence then. You can build the fence now. Don't fool yourself. Where you go, what you see, who you hang out with, what you say yes to, you know what I'm talking about. Don't give the enemy a foothold because he will always take more and he will destroy your life and there'll be no fruit. There might be success, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be stifled. Am I bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit? It's a first focus issue. The others are important. I know that. I got a lot of things we can talk about, and we, we need to. But this is first focus. This is the one that counts the most. The lessons, water the plants, rough up the soil, choose the right time to soak, defend the plants. Well, as the worship team comes up, uh, let me just ask you a couple of questions in closing because I think these are really important. If you had not already done this, will you come to Christ for his new life? I mean, that's where it starts. Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in the home of those who give their hearts to Jesus. So, you know, you can attend church for years and years and years and never make that decision, or you could have gone to a church that didn't talk about making the decision like I grew up in, and you need to make that decision now. Will you give your heart to Jesus Christ? It's the first step. It's the entry point for the Holy Spirit to come and live within you. And then he wants to produce the fruit in you that you've been looking at and thinking about. So, I would ask the second question, is that is, will you make the fruit of the Holy Spirit the first focus issue of your life? I had never heard that question before. I had never asked that question before. But I think it's a great one to ask and to answer. Will you make the fruit of the Holy Spirit the first focus issue of your life. Everything comes after that. That's number one. So make that decision today for the glory of God. Let's pray together, please. Father, you're such a good God. You're such a tender lover of our hearts and our souls. You're, you're such a kind God. Your kindness has led men and women to repentance down through the years, and I, I know that from personal experience. It wasn't my idea, Lord. It was yours. Thank you for your kindness. Thank that you're, you're willing to live within us and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit so clearly seen in Jesus. Oh, God, lead us to the decisions that will make a difference for us and for those around us. Bring glory to your name. Be pleased. We want to give you good reason, Lord, not just to love us, but to like us as well. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.